Will you join me and uh, let's give the Lord a hand this morning as we get started. I am um, encouraged by our time together in worship. I hope that you are as well. Uh, I want to say good morning again. I'm thankful that you're here. I, I forgot in the midst of all the other announcements that I made a minute ago to make one that I, I want to also highlight. After worship, uh, we have classes that we would invite you to stay for and be a part of. Uh, in the month of June, uh, I'm going to talk about all the classes, but we're doing a little bit something a little bit different. So we're having one class that will be down in the fellowship hall that Jerry James is going to be teaching on the book of Colossians. There'll be a class up in 301 that is titled Through the Eyes of Color with You. That's a video and discussion class. I'll be teaching a class in, in uh, room 201 over here off the foyer that is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And then in the library, uh, there each week in the month of June, there are going to be uh, two elder couples, an elder and his wife, are going to be in the library and available to you for prayer, uh, for conversation, if there's something you want to talk about. Uh, and I, I want to encourage you to take part of that. If There will be at least two couples there every week so that if you walk in and somebody else is being prayed for or being visited with, someone else can receive you. And so uh, just make note of that, Try, trying to do something a little different with schedules in the summer and knowing that uh, there's a little more flexibility for lots of our schedules and stuff like that. But would love to have you stick around after worship uh, to be a part of one of those classes. Um, so today we begin a new summer sermon series that will take us all the way up to Back to School Sunday in August. And it's a series that we're going to call Half-Truths. And, and the reason that I'm calling it Half-Truths is because maybe you've noticed, like me, that there are a lot of expressions that exist in our, in our culture, in our world, that people use regularly. They might sort of be true. Uh, there's a measure of truth in them, but they are not completely true. There are things like, God will never give you more than you can handle. You, you shouldn't judge. Things like forgive and forget. And these statements and others like them, if you can read some of those there on the screen, get used by people all the time. And they're almost really embedded. I'm going to show you in some of the ways that they are embedded in our culture in just a minute. They're embedded in our conversations. They get kind of tossed around casually by people a lot. Sometimes they get used in, in the midst of like a really difficult or challenging moment in somebody's life. When someone's trying their very best to be helpful, uh, and they, they sort of use one of these phrases, uh, maybe trying to encourage another person, maybe trying to explain something complicated or complex or hard. And, and the challenge is that when they're used by Christians, uh, there is an, an assumption a lot of times by the hearer that many of these statements are in the Bible. But the problem is they aren't. Not one of these statements that we'll talk about this summer is actually in the Bible. And in the cases of some of the phrases that we'll look at over the next couple of months together, the Bible does say something related, but the version of the statement that ends up getting repeated a lot in our culture uh, is not what the Bible actually says. Uh, and so, you know, and, and really tr it can be the case that when it gets repeated in the way that it often gets stated, uh, that it can do more damage than good. And so today we're going to look at one of the most, I think one of the most common statements of all the ones we're going to look at, and that is this, this phrase, God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. But before we jump into that statement and look at it together, I want to begin uh, this part of our time with a prayer. So if you would pray with me. 
Father, this morning as we uh, begin on a journey over the next several months, thinking about what the Bible says and what it doesn't say, and thinking about the words that we use to talk about you and to talk about our faith in you, I pray that you will give us uh, hearts that will be receptive to what it is that you want us to hear and see and learn over the next couple of months together. I pray that you'll give us a desire to continue to be helpful and encouraging and supportive of people as we speak life and truth and love into the situations that we find ourselves in, but that we'll also be mindful about speaking words that are accurate and that are true. And I pray, Father, that you will give us this morning just an awareness of your spirit. I pray that you will speak through me, that the words that, uh, that I will say will be your words and that our hearts will be encouraged because of our time in, your, uh, in, your, in the scriptures together today. We pray in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. So I want to start with a story. It's maybe a story that some of you have heard uh, before. The story goes like this. There was a, a terrible storm in, that came and it flooded this entire area. And water was rising and people began to be evacuated. But in the midst of this flood, there was one man a self-proclaimed man of faith, and he didn't want to evacuate. He said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride out this storm. I'm going to stay where I am. And so as the water continues to rise, someone with a boat comes by and says, please, sir, do you want to ride? Get on the boat and let's get out of here together. And this man said, it's okay. God will rescue me. And some, so, some more time passes, and he climbs up to the second floor of his house. And he's standing out on the balcony and continuing to see the water rise, and another boat comes by. A person in a boat says, please come with us. Let's get out of here. We have room in our boat for you. And again, this man said, it's okay. I have faith that God will rescue me. And of course, more rain comes, and more time passes, and now the water is so high that the man is actually sitting up on his roof, and a helicopter comes by and drops a ladder down, and, the, and the, the rescue workers are shouting from the helicopter, please take hold of the ladder, climb up to safety, we can get you out of here. And he shouts back, it's okay, God will rescue me. And so they fly away. But the water doesn't stop. And eventually the man drowns. And when he arrives in heaven, he says to God, God, I thought you were going to rescue me. And God said, I sent two boats and a helicopter. What else do you want from me? That was funnier than that right there, y'all. Come on. <laughs> Several years ago, the Barna Research Group did some research where they, they asked American, Americans about this statement, God helps those who help themselves. They framed their, their research this way. They asked the question this way. They said, the Bible teaches that God helps those who help themselves. And then they asked people who were participating in the survey to respond to that statement that it's true or that it's false, that they agreed or that they disagreed. And you might could argue a little bit that they kind of asked it in a leading way, and I, and I get that, but they, that's the way they did it, and so the results come back. And amazingly to me, according to Barna's research, 68% of Christians, not 68% of people, but Christians uh, felt that this statement was actually in the Bible and it was what the Bible taught. Now, if, if you just go with me for the sake of the argument this morning, that, that that survey is true, that those results are true, it would mean seven out of the ten of us in here and watching online, people that will watch this sermon later felt that this statement would, would also agree that this statement was in the Bible. 
And I'm not upset about that if, like, you come in this morning and you're like, oh, I didn't know that wasn't in the Bible. That's, that's fine. But I, I'm, I'm wanting to use that as an example to make the case that what we say about God, what we say about our faith matters. And it's important for us to think about where this idea came from and why did it get to a point in our country when so many followers of Jesus would, would agree uh, about this statement, would think that this statement when they hear it is true, that it's something that the Bible says and it's what the Bible teaches. How did it become such a popularized idea in our culture? It's interesting to me that when you go back and look at, and I've, I've done that in preparation for today, this phrase, it, it actually goes way back. One of the first places that it shows up is in Aesop's fables. Maybe some of you remember these stories of Greek mythology. And there's one particular fable where we see this phrase jump out. I want to read sort of what the story says. I have a picture, I think, of, that's a version of this story, an image from this story. It says, a wagoneer was once driving a heavy load along a very muddy way. At last he came to a part in the road where the wheels sank halfway into the mire. The more the horses pulled, the deeper the wheels sank. So the wagoneer threw his whip and knelt down and prayed to Hercules the strong. Oh, Hercules, help me in my hour of distress. And Hercules appeared to him and said, stand up, don't stand there. Get up and put your shoulder to the wheel. God, the gods help those that help themselves. In this story, he cries out to one of the strongest beings that he knows. And Hercules doesn't have time for it. Hercules says, if you want help, then get up and do it yourself. But it isn't just here. This is one of the first places that it shows up, but it's not just here. Back at the very beginning of our country in America, Benjamin Franklin used to publish a pamphlet. Uh, maybe some of you remember the, these or hearing about these, uh, a, a pamphlet called Poor Richard's Almanac, where he would write like from the perspective of this pseudonym that he used, Poor Richard. He would, he would pretend that he was someone else. Maybe you've heard of this, this thing. It existed for like 25 years. It would be filled with things like weather reports and art, different articles, household uh, hints, puzzles, etc. Like it was just sort of a thing, that, and it circulated very widely for a long time. And in one edition that it was published in, 19, uh, in 1757, Ben Franklin said these exact words. I have another slide, I think, that shows these. He says, let us hearken to good advice, and, some and something may be done for us. God helps those that helps themselves. An exact word-for-word -word copy of this phrase from the 1700s. And, and this idea would come, become deeply embedded in the foundations of our culture and in our country as our country started. And these are just two examples. In preparing for today, I found multiple places where high-profile people use this phrase, TV personalities, presidents, movies, it's everywhere. But the Bible doesn't say this. And it isn't rooted in Scripture. It's rooted in a tale from Greek mythology that would be later quoted by a founding father. And so what does the Bible actually say? Well, to, to, to think about that, I want to look at a story from Matthew chapter 20. And to begin, I, I want to kind of set this story up, right? A lot of us have heard this story, and we're going to read part of it in a second. But in this story, the owner, uh, th there's a vineyard, and the owner of the vineyard sets out to hire a bunch of people to work as day laborers in, in his vineyard. 
And so he goes out and he begins to hire people and he hires people at different points all throughout the day. Some at 8 a.m. all the way up to 5 p.m. He hires people all day long to come and work in his vineyard. And they, they get hired, they go work at various points, some for, for a full day, some for just an hour or two before the day comes to an end. But at the very end of the story, there is a twist. In the end, the master of the vineyard pays all of the workers exactly the same amount of money. And we're going to read how the story actually comes to an end. This is what Matthew, what Jesus says as he is telling the story, and Matthew records in Matthew chapter 20. Jesus says, When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired at 5 p.m. and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about 5 in the afternoon came, and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he, but he answered him, the owner of the vineyard answered them, am I, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. When the pay is handed out, those who have worked all day get upset and the owner has been, the owner has been unfair to them. People should get what they deserve, they say. And of course, we don't, we don't know why, and as we hear this story and think about it, we don't know why the people who arrived late arrived late, right? Maybe they were sleeping in. That's one possibility. But maybe they were working another job. Or maybe they didn't have a ride, right? There's all sorts of reasons that they could have gotten there later in the day. But in the end, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. What matters is that everyone was paid for a full day's work. And of course, the point of the parable is that in God's kingdom, Things are upside down. They get flipped on their head. God is generous, showing love and care and provision to people equally. Nobody gets more or less than the other people in, in life. So that even the last in society, Jesus says, will eventually turn out to be first. And, and if we're honest this morning, I want you to think, I want you to be honest with yourself. If we're honest, this is one of those stories we don't really like that Jesus told. Because it challenges us. Like, if you're honest with yourself, you think that the people who work the full day have a really good point, right? Every one of us would do what they did. What, what's up with that? I've worked the entire day, and they get the same amount of money as I get? I mean, they did work more, longer hours, more in, in the heat. For the, all the things that they said were true, right? We worked a full day and bore the heat of the day. These people that came in later in the day at 5 o'clock, it, it makes sense that the people who worked all day would pay more. And we, are, we logically understand their argument. They helped themselves. You could even make a case. And they put in more work. They showed up early. They showed up on time. More time. More effort. And we have been taught with words and through modeling it, right, that all of the things that they did should equal more money 
in the end, right? And so stories like this have to kind of, they kind of mess with us because we're like, what is Jesus trying to do? What is Jesus trying to say? I remember years ago, several years ago now, when Tony Romo, the former Dallas Cowboys quarterback, retired, was getting ready to retire. And in his press conference, he said these words. And I remember the words because he used this word meritocracy that is not used very often. This is what he said. He said, you see, football is a meritocracy. This is when Dak Prescott was becoming quarterback. He was kind of getting pushed out. And so he said, you see, football is a meritocracy. You aren't handed anything. You earn everything, every single day, over and over again. You have to prove it. That's the way in the NFL, that's the way that football works. And I'm a big Romo fan, except for that one time that he fumbled that snap that one year. But what he is doing here, so I'm not knocking on him really as a player, but what he is doing here is just repeating what culture has taught him. You have to earn it. You have to prove it. Meritocracy is a defining idea in American culture. And it might be true. It certainly seems to be true in the NFL, but it is not true in the kingdom of God. And that's the reason that part, part of the reason that these stories sort of unsettle us. It might be true in your business. That people, you want to see people give effort and work hard and, you know, rise to the challenge if they're issued a challenge of some kind. And so we also want to apply this, this idea to our relationship with God. And, and this thought, like that's, the, that's sort of the thing that I want to talk about for the next few minutes. That more than, than scripture in a lot of cases, this idea of this, there, yeah, there's a merit system. You have to earn it. You have to work your way up. That idea, I think, all too often more than Scripture, is a foundational idea behind how we think about God. It's certainly a foundational idea behind this idea that God helps those who help themselves. And and the danger of us thinking about or not thinking correctly about what exactly God does do in relation to us is that we we sort of begin to think about that and apply it to our relationship. And I want to just say very quickly, though, that I think that even talking about this idea that God helps those who help themselves, the, the, the danger in, in, the, in challenging the idea is that someone will hear me this morning. And they might begin to think, well, Doug thinks that people should just be given everything without working for it. So I want you to know I didn't say that. It is true that in some cases people do need a hand up. And our job as kingdom people is to do that. But I am also very much for hard work. I'm for giving great effort. I'm for being responsible, all of those things. But I'm also for being honest about the fact that all of us have received help countless times through the years. Even the person who thinks they are self-made had had help from someone else. You find me a person who thinks that they're self-made, and I will find you the one, two, or 50 people that helped them get to where they are. Which leads me to the, to the main problem that I have with this phrase, God helps those who help themselves. Is that Again, too often that statement reflects how Christians view their relationship with God. The lie that we believe about our relationship with God all too often is this. If I do blank, then God will help me. Be honest with yourself this morning. Too often we think, you think, if I do, then God will do. That somehow our work is a prerequisite 
to receiving God's help. That we have to do something, and then God will respond. See, God, I did my part. Now you do your part. And I want, to sh- I want you to hear me say as clearly as you can- I can this morning, this is not what the Bible teaches. In fact, I think the Bible teaches the opposite thing. One place, it's all over Scripture, but one place is in Psalm 113, verse 7, where it says this. Next slide, please. It says, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. God is interested in the broken, the hurting, the outcast, the poor, the lame, the weak. I once heard it said this way, and I thought it was a really creative way to explain it. Every artist has their medium through which they create their art, right? Some work with stone, chiseling out various things. Some work with paint. Some work with clay. Some work with music. Some work with words. But Jesus is the artist whose medium is the ashes of our broken lives. Jesus takes the brokenness that we bring. When we say, I can't fix this, I can't do this on my own, and Jesus says to us, I can make beautiful things out of ashes. I can make beauty from ashes, is what Scripture says. It isn't God helps those that help themselves, it's God helps the helpless. It's God helps people that need help. The only thing that is needed for God to work is acknowledging that you need help. Jesus does his best work when we admit that we cannot do it on our own, that we are weak, that we are broken, that we need help. That's when Jesus does his best work. That's when Jesus shows up in our lives. And we call this humility. To admit that I can't do it on my own is an act of humility. James says in James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. There's no, no, there's no, you're not doing anything. There's no action. It's a, heart, it's a heart change that you're making. You're acknowledging that you can't do it on your own. And, and the big lie that is embedded in this statement that God helps those who help themselves is that self-help is the best kind of help. Right? If you just do it and work hard enough, kind of pick yourselves up by your bootstraps, which many of you have heard me say it before, if you, want, if, you, if you think you can pick yourselves up by your bootstraps, then show me. It isn't possible. You cannot lay down on the ground and pull your own self up by your bootstraps. Someone else has to help you. And and a lot of times it's either that we think we can just kind of just muscle through, right? Just power through and just do it ourselves. I don't need anybody's help. I don't need anybody to walk with me. I don't need anybody to share this burden. I'll figure it out. I'll get through it. I'll grit my teeth and bear it. And not all, that's, all, that's a form of self-help, but there's also a whole industry that exists around this idea of self-help. It's a multi-million dollar industry. And, and certainly while some of the resources in that industry might have great suggestions, at the root of all of those suggestions is this idea that if you just work hard enough, then things will work out for you. But working harder doesn't always change your situation. Not too long ago, I had a plumbing issue at my house, and I tried to fix it on my own. I I worked with the tools that I had, which were not what I actually needed, but I worked with what I had, 
I even watched some YouTube videos to try to figure out who else has had this problem and how could they explain to me how to fix this problem. And you know what happened? I got to a point when I didn't know what to do. And I had to ask for help. So I think I first called Todd, and he didn't know what to do, so I called Kip. And when I called Kip, I said, I need help. Can you tell me how to do this? Can you tell me how to address this problem? If I pull on this piece in my shower, am I going to break it and make a bigger mess? And Kip said, no, you've got to pull really hard on that piece for it to come out. And so I got the counsel that I needed. I pulled the plug, and I fixed the shower but you know the whole the hardest part of that entire process was? It had nothing to do with fixing the shower. The hardest part of that process was admitting that I needed help and having to actually ask Kip for it. And we eat self-help up because we want to be our own savior. But the truth is that God helps the helpless. That God is the best help. That God helps the humble and the hurting and the lonely. That God alone is the great healer and that God provides this help because of who God is, not because of what we've done. Listen to how Paul talks about God's help in Ephesians chapter 2. This is what he says. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. We could just stop right there. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. God loves you and believes that you have unsurpassable worth and value, period. And God's care and love extend to you because this is who God is, because of his great love, because he is so rich in mercy full of love for you and the world that he created. And nothing that we do is going to impact what God does. We can't earn God's love. We can't earn our salvation. We can't do something to get God to think differently about us. God provides for us, helps us, based not on what we deserve or what we merit. God provides because this is who God is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves, doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. When we acknowledge that we need help, no matter how hard we try, we can't do it ourselves. But God offers help when we need it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for the promise that you help the helpless, that you help the hurting, that you help the lonely, you help the broken. And that what what you ask of us is a heart change, really just an acknowledgement. The beginning of the process is to acknowledge that we need your help. Really to believe in you. This is what it means to believe in you, is to believe that we can't do it on our own. And we acknowledge this morning also, God, that we all too often apply the idea that's in this statement to our relationship with you and to the work that you're doing in the kingdom that you are building. And we ask, Father, that you'll help us as we think about better ways to talk about you and to talk about our faith, that we'll be honest about the ways that we've done that in the past and that we will lean into this new 
way of, of thinking that we've talked about this morning and be aware, more aware of in the days, of he, days ahead of our words and our explanations about how we think about your relationship with us. We're thankful that you do for us regardless of what we've done or what we will do, that because of your great love, because you are so rich in mercy, you pursue us and chase after us. And Father, this morning I pray that you will be with those who are hearing these words and that you will help each one this morning who needs to just receive the encouragement that comes from that promise, that they will receive that in their heart. Being more aware today than they were yesterday about how you have loved us and cared for us because of who you are. You view us as your children. You view us with unsurpassable worth and value. And nothing that we can do can take that away And I pray this morning, God, that those of us who might need to also acknowledge our pride and our arrogance and our our desire to kind of be self-made and to do it on our own and to not ask for help, that you'll convict us of that pride. You'll convict us of that way of living that is not in line with what you desire for your people. That you'll grow and mature and develop us into people who will admit that we are struggling and hurting, who admit that we need help, that we need encouragement, that we need community, that we need relationships, that we need your grace. We pray, Father, through the power of your Spirit, who makes all of these life-changing, transformative things possible. We pray in Jesus' name, and the church said, amen.